listening to an audio sermon from Fort William Baptist Church. We are located in Thunder Bay, Ontario. To find out more about us, please visit our website at www.fortwilliambaptistchurch.com. Thank you for joining us today. Would you take your Bibles and turn to the book of 2 Timothy? Our sermon text for this morning is 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 1 through 7. And so last week was our first sermon in this new series, and I set it up like this. Jesus has a mission for us as a people. And what is that mission? Go and make disciples of all nations. And so then we asked the question, well, what does it look like to make disciples of all nations? What does it practically look like in the nitty-gritty of church life to be about this? And so we're going to the book of 2 Timothy to, to learn what it looks like to be about Jesus' mission. And we're going to learn from Paul's words as he writes to his spiritual son in the faith, Timothy. And so with that, let's give our attention to God's word. So we're going to look at verses 1 through 7 this morning. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus... To Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors, with a clear conscience. As I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. As I remember your tears, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power, love, and self-control. Well, Father, we do ask that you would bless the reading and the preaching of your word. Amen. The Apostle Paul is quick to get down to business. I love this about Paul. If we set aside the opening verses, verses 1 and 2, Paul's introduction, Paul gets down to business so quickly. In just two sentences, Paul gets to his main point. So verses 3 through 5 are this, is a long, run-on, complicated sentence in the original. And our English translations show us mercy by, by putting in commas and periods so that we can digest verses 3 through 5. And so after this long first sentence, Paul makes his appeal to Timothy plain. This is why he's writing to Timothy. Verse 6. For this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. So verse 6 lays bare the agenda of Paul's letter. And this is helpful. While this letter contains... Plenty of theology. It was not written to be a theological treatise. Paul didn't sit down and write to Timothy a systematic theology on everything he's going to encounter in ministry. No, rather at bottom, this letter is a call to action. Paul wants Timothy to do something. He desires Timothy to act in a certain way. I remind you to fan into flame the gift of, of God. And Paul's going to labor towards this end throughout this letter. And he's going to employ everything that he has at his disposal to get this job done. He's going to leverage his personal history with, with Timothy. He's going to use razor-sharp logic with Timothy. He's going to have if-then statements. He's going to hold out the carrot stick of honor with Timothy. If you obey my words, you're going to be honored in the presence of Jesus and his church. 
And he also threatens Timothy with shame. If you don't follow my words, this apostolic instruction, you're going to be shamed. And he's going to parade before Timothy examples of, of faithfulness and also stories of infidelity. He's going to encourage, remind, command, promise, charge Timothy, all for this reason that Timothy might take action, that he might fill out, verse 6, fan into flame the gift of God. Or to put it another way, the principal aim of this letter is not instruction, though there's plenty of instruction. At heart, it's all about motivation. And this is important to get straight right from the beginning of this sermon series on 2 Timothy. Because this whole letter is going to reveal something so important about the Christian life. And it's this. Doctrine isn't everything. Doctrine isn't everything. Now you have to listen to me very closely when I say something like that. When I say that, I'm not devaluing doctrine in any way. You must believe the right things about God and His Son. And if you don't believe the right things about God and His Son, you're not going to be saved. We read Romans chapter 10, verses 9 through 11 this morning. But what I'm saying is this. Doctrine, believing the right things about God and His Son, doctrine is not the end of the story. You must not only know the truth, but you must be sufficiently motivated to act upon the truth. You must be moved by the truth, and you must be ready, eager to take action for the sake of the truth. And so this sermon this morning is going to bear down on each one of us and ask us, are you motivated, are you motivated to engage in the ministry that Jesus has called us to as a church. Are you ready? Are you eager to take action? So Paul writes, fan into flame the gift of God. Paul writes with color, and we can easily understand him. Being in northern Ontario, we all have regular experiences with fire. Some of us heat our homes with wood stoves, so we, we see fires regularly. Others of us go out, to, go out to camp by the lake, and we start a fire, and we, we spend time around the fire. And then the point that Paul is making is pretty simple here. A fire left unattended, a fire left unattended will not accomplish its purpose. So if you have a wood stove in your house, you know something about fires. If you just build a fire in the morning and walk away, and don't attend to that fire, that fire is not going to heat your house up. You're going to come home later, and what's going to happen? You're going to have a cold house. It's the same thing if you've cooked over an open fire. An unattended fire will not produce the kind of, kind of fire that you need for cooking. You won't have the hot coals to cook the hot dog or, or roast the marshmallow. A fire requires careful attention. And we know this. It has to be arranged in the right way so that oxygen can get in and, and feed the fire so that it doesn't suffocate itself. It has to be stoked at the right time with the right material. If you've ever thrown a wet log on a fire, you know what happens. It just smolders there. And so it needs a constant supply of fuel. And at times, a fire needs to be nursed along. You have to throw in a crumpled up piece of, of newspaper. You need to bring some dry kindling. You need to get out the bellows and, and blow on the fire to reignite it. And all of this has to do with Timothy. So back to verse 6, Paul writes, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. What is Paul saying? He's saying, Timothy, Timothy has a responsibility to pay careful attention to the gift he has received from God. He must not let it be extinguished. Even more, he must be careful to stoke it, stoke it into a blazing fire. Timothy must not only use the gift, but he must improve upon the gift, making sure that it's operating at the highest possible order. And so this is all very practical for Paul. So as we look at our text this morning, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 6, Paul doesn't spell out what this gift is. 
But we can do some detective work this morning, and we can learn a bit more about what Paul has in mind for Timothy. So if we turn from 2 Timothy to the, to the book of 1 Timothy, we get some help. So in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 14, Paul uses some familiar language. He says this to Timothy. Do not neglect the gift you have, which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. So that's very similar language that we hear in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 6. And so we ask Paul, well, what is this gift you're talking about? So we just have to go up one verse to 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 13. And Paul writes, Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. And so we see that Timothy has been called and set apart by God, and he's been given a task. He, he leads the church through teaching and preaching. That's what God has in mind for Timothy. This is what he's been equipped and gifted to do. And again, in this context, Timothy's responsibility is clear. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 15. Paul says, Practice these things, immerse yourself in them, so that all may see your progress. Paul wants Timothy to improve upon this. And so we get some help. We piece together 2 Timothy and 1 Timothy. And we're starting to get a picture of what, what Paul has in mind. So as this all relates to preaching and teaching within the church, Timothy must make advance, he must make progress, so that his growth will be evidenced in the sight of God's people. They'll say, wow, this guy is actually making progress in the Christian faith and in the use of his gifts. And so we can turn from 1 Timothy back to 2 Timothy. Back at chapter 1, verse 6. And as we return to our text, I think Paul has even a broader vision in mind. So as we think about 2 Timothy, certainly Paul cares about Timothy's preaching and teaching. He's going to exhort. He's going to encourage Timothy to use these gifts. He's going to say to Timothy, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. He's going to say, show yourself as an approved workman, rightly handling the word of truth. But we can't be confused about what Paul's after. What Paul has in mind is not primarily technique or oratory skill, but the spirit that ministry is carried out in. So in reality, Paul is concerned about the way Timothy is living the Christian life. So I think Paul's after this. He's asking Timothy, Timothy, are you zealous to preach the word of God? Timothy, are you eager to partake in suffering? Timothy, are you using everything that God has given you for the good of God's people, the church? Timothy, are you running after holiness? Timothy, do you have a real concern for God and his glory? Or Timothy, are you simply dragging your feet in ministry? Are you dragging your feet? And as we think about this, verse 6 sets an important piece of theology into each one of our laps. And it's this, God is going to hold us accountable to how we use his gifts. Whether or not we have used them well in his service, our God deeply cares about how we approach our ministries, how we carry out our ministries, and not only our ministries, but the whole approach that we have to the Christian life. And so Paul's words fall on each one of us. Paul comes to us this morning asking, Believer, are you zealous to proclaim the word of God? We all have a responsibility to proclaim the word of God to each other. Are you zealous to do it in your home with fellow church members? Are you eager to partake in suffering, believer? Believer, are you laboring with all that God has given you for the good of the church? Believer, are you, are you running after holiness? Believer, do you have a real concern for God and God's glory alone? Are you just dragging your feet in ministry? Are you dragging your feet?
Have you given into weariness today? Have you bitten into the apple of doubt and self-pity? Is that where you're at? So Paul comes to us and he says, Believer, you must fan into flame the gift of God. But we can dialogue with Paul, and I think it's really good to dialogue with the Scriptures, and we say, Paul, I hear what you're saying, but this is daunting. Don't you get it, Paul? We meet difficulty from every direction. There is no safe place for us in this world. From outside, criticism stings us and discouragements weigh us down. They're like heavy weights on their shoulders and they they just push us into the ground and we can barely move. And from inside, from inside, doubts fill our minds. Am I really called to do this? Can I really keep going? Can I persevere in this ministry that you've called me to? And even our physical makeup fails us at times. Our emotions refuse to file into rank and march according to time. They're just disorganized, doing whatever they want to do. And oftentimes our energy levels feel low and stagnant. And Paul's words seem impossible to obey. We say to Paul, I hear what you're saying, but this seems so daunting. And Timothy was no stranger to any of this. As we think about Timothy's circumstances, he was, he was entrenched in difficult circumstances. Think about this. From the outside, he was facing a government that was growing increasingly hostile to the Christian faith. Notice the context of this letter. Paul is writing to Timothy, his spiritual son, from prison. And so here's Timothy, his mentor in the faith, his his spiritual father, is likely going to die for the faith. And not only is he facing pressure from from a government, he's ministering in a church with, with problems and difficulties. Within the church, there's false teachers challenging the very fundamental doctrines of the faith. Members within the church are given over to quarrels and controversies. They're chewing themselves up. Members of the church are prone to pursue folly. And that's just from the outside for Timothy. Those are a lot of discouragements that can eat a man's soul up. And from inside, there's much to cause Timothy to stutter and stall out in ministry. He has to deal with his own doubts, his own worries, his own troubles. But listen to what Paul says next. We go from verse 6 to verse 7. Paul writes, For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power, love, and self-control. If you're reading the ESV like I am, the ESV gives us a lowercase s for spirit, but I think it's best, especially in light, and we'll get there next week, chapter 1, verse 14, to think capital S, the Holy Spirit of God, third person of the Trinity Spirit, or at a very minimum, the gifts and graces of the Spirit's. And so what Paul is doing here, he's preaching powerfully. We have to get what Paul's doing. He's saying something like this. Timothy, understand this. You have to fan into flame the gift of God, but you are not left without help or supplies. You do not have to go scavenging around for what you need. You don't have to practice self-reliance. Know this. God has supplied you with exactly what you need. He has given you his very spirit. It's so important to get this logic straight in our mind because if we don't get this logic straight of how Paul is encouraging Timothy... We're going to get stuck. We'll get stuck in despair. Paul's going to say, fan and flame the gift of God. And we're going to say, Paul, I just can't do it. I can't do it. I'm stuck. I can't do what God commands me. Or we'll get stuck in self-help. Well, Paul, you told me to fan and flame the gift of God. I'm going to rely on myself. I'm going to pull myself up by my bootstraps. I'm going to rely on myself. I'm going to get it done. Paul is calling Timothy to operate in accordance with the gift that he has received. What's the gift? It's the Spirit. And so he must now act in a way, in accordance, he must live in a way that befits life in the Spirit. And that is so refreshing. 
all of a sudden this task isn't so daunting anymore. All that you need for ministry, all that you need to fight the fight of faith, all that you need to operate with zeal for the ministry that God has given you has been supplied to you by God. And the question is, will we or will we not make use of this gift? Will we dig into it? Will we be reliant upon the Spirit? Will we feed upon the gifts readily, readily made available to us in the gospel of God? Will we or will we not make use of this gift? But Paul isn't through with Timothy yet. Paul further defines and clarifies the gifts that are freely available to Timothy. Notice this. Our God just doesn't give us good gifts, indiscriminate gifts. He gives us specific gifts. Specific gifts that we desperately need. And Paul spells them out for us. He, he calls our attention. He says, look here at these gifts given to you by God. Verse 7. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power, love, and self-control. And we just need to take notice of these words. First, power. Paul, Paul's going to have a lot more to say about this word in the next couple of verses. But what Paul has in mind is simply staggering for Timothy. The power made available to Timothy and to each one of us who are in Christ is the very power of God revealed in the gospel. This is the very power that abolished the rule and reign of death. This is the very power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. And this changes everything. Paul is reasoning with Timothy, his spiritual son. He's saying, Timothy, I know all of your obstacles, but what are all of your obstacles? You have imprisonment, false teachers, discouragement, weariness, criticism, self-doubt, emotional turmoil. Timothy, think about this. They are nothing before you. They're like a speck of dust in front of a great and mighty mountain. They are nothing. They cannot rival the mighty power of God. And Paul wants Timothy to think about this carefully, to do a compare and contrast with the power of God and his circumstances. Because if Timothy does that, he's going to press on in ministry. And he's going to do it with motivation. And so we see this at work in the scriptures. We see what it looks like for men and women to operate in the spirit of the power of God. So we go to the book of Acts. On the day of Pentecost, there is Peter, and he's filled with the spirit He's made bold by the Spirit of God. And what happens? Well, he stands up in front of thousands of men and women and he proclaims the gospel of God. With, with bravery, he calls men to faith and repentance. Peter doesn't wilt. He doesn't melt under the pressure. He stands tall and preaches the gospel of God. Or another example, there's Stephen. And there he is surrounded by all of the opponents of the gospel. And they have murder in their hearts. They want to kill him. And what happens? He experiences the power of God. And what does, what does Stephen do? Well, he stands up and he boldly preaches the gospel of God in the face of his opponents. And so, believer, if you are to live a life that pleases God, you must know the power of God. It's a non-negotiable of the Christian life. Because if you do not know the power of God, you will crumble under the pressure of the Christian life. It doesn't matter what station of the Christian life you are in. You will be overwhelmed by your circumstances. Criticisms will nail you into the ground, but you must see and know the power of God. And so that's the first word that Paul gives Timothy, power. And Paul gives Timothy a second word, love. And you have to notice what Paul is doing here. He's very careful to couple the first word with a second word. Power has to be coupled 
by love. And there's a reason for this because power left to itself tends to bully, tends to dominate, it tends to destroy and tear down others. And this is where love comes in. Love has to guide, it has to control, it has to constrain power to its proper ends. And certainly in the mind of Paul was the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Think about Jesus' ministry that we find revealed in the Gospels. Jesus had power. He possessed the Spirit fully, and the, the Spirit fully possessed Jesus. We see it revealed. Jesus calmed storms. He healed the sick. He raised the dead to life. Demons cowered in his presence. But how was this power used in his ministry? We don't find him destroying and humiliating humans. Well, he uses his power in the service of love. And, and where does this ultimately lead? Well, we, we find the Gospels ultimately leading to a, a Roman cross where Jesus undergoes horrors to redeem sinful people like you and me. And this is the very gift that Timothy has received. This is the very gift that Timothy has received. In this new mode of existence, this life in the Spirit of God, Timothy is free. He's free from the pettiness of quarreling. He doesn't need to use his words as weapons to beat down his opponents. He's free. He's free from the spirit of defensiveness. He doesn't need to wall himself off from all of God's people, building tall and thick walls that no one can penetrate. He is free from the desire of self-aggrandizement. He can, by God's spirit, simply and humbly serve the people of God that God has given to him. He's free from that surly attitude that's so quick to take offense and so slow to overlook the sins of others. What do we find? We find that Timothy is free. He can now, by this power of God's Spirit, lay his life down for others. He can follow the path of Jesus, operate just as Jesus did. And so, believer, do you know this gift of love? Do you use it and reuse it? Are you marked by it? Are you known for it? Paul tells us if you are in Christ Jesus, you have received this gift. So we have power. We have love. And Paul gives us one last word, self-control. Paul tells us the Spirit teaches us how to act with prudence, with moderation, with self-discipline. So we need to think this all through. Timothy must be motivated for ministry. He must be red hot, burning with passion. But we cannot be confused about what this passion looks like in practice. Timothy must not be a man led to extremes. This passion should not make him look like a, a fool. Practically, his speech should not be given over to anger. He must be a gentleman. His character must be mar not marked by rash and hasty, hasty decisions. He must be a, a patient man. Timothy must know the right thing to say at the right time to the right person. He must be a wise man, a man full of wisdom. What does Paul say to Timothy? You've been given the exact gift that you need to carry out your ministry, self-control. What do we see happening here? We see the, the Spirit of God forging a new man. The Spirit of God is taking Timothy. And in sin, he was all out of order. He was unruly. He was unhelpful for the people of God. And, and the Spirit of God is taking Timothy and he is forging a new man for the good of the church. He's making Timothy into something orderly and useful. He's making Timothy into a gift, a gift for God's people. And so we can return to the idea of fire to think this through a bit more. So fire in the fireplace is a great good. We've all sat around a fireplace. It's warm. We want to sit close to it. There's light. We love it. 
But what happens when just a spark gets outside of the fireplace? Just a spark lands on the carpet. Well, a whole house can be destroyed. People can lose their lives. And this helps us what the Spirit is doing with us. The Spirit brings control and restraint to us. And so Paul is challenging us this morning. And I ask you, believer, take a look around you. What is the fire producing? What is the fire producing? Do an honest assessment of your life. What is the fire producing? Is the house warm and full of light? Are you edifying the congregation of God's people? Are you? Or are you surrounded by smoldering ruins? Do you look around and there's just ash everywhere? What Paul is saying is we must learn to embrace this precious gift of the Spirit, for we all greatly need it. And what Paul says, if you're in Christ Jesus, you have it. You have it. Make use of it. And so we spent the majority of our time looking at verses 6 and 7. So in verse 6, we find the command, fan into flame the gift of God. So Paul is saying, Timothy, God is going to hold you responsible for how you conduct your life in ministry. So it is necessary, it is imperative that you tend the fire, that you're operating at top speed. And Paul goes on, he says, For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power, love, and self-control. Or in other words, good news, Timothy, God has given you all that you need for life in ministry. He has given you his spirit. Be refreshed with that. Depend on the spirit. But this leaves us with a question. We've been looking at verses 6 and 7, and we ask, well, what do verses 3 and 5 have anything to do with what we've been talking about so far? How does this passage all fit together? So let's go back to verses 3 through 5 and, and listen to what Paul says. He says, I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors with a clear conscience. As I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day, as I remember your tears, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. I'm reminded of your sincere faith, the faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. So what's the answer to our question? How do these verses all fit together? Well, in verses 6 and 7, Paul commands Timothy, tend the fire, fan into flame the gift of God. In verses 3 through 5, what does Paul do? Paul begins to tend Timothy's fire. He starts to fan into flame Timothy's flame. You see what Paul's doing? He doesn't sit passively by, Timothy, get to work. I'm going to sit here on the sidelines and to see if you're actually going to do it. Paul doesn't sit idly by. What does he do? He grabs some kindling wood. He grabs some newspaper. He grabs the bellows and he starts, starts working on Timothy, placing those materials in there, getting things going. And so again, these verses saddle us with another obligation. And so we've, we're taught in this passage, we have the obligation, we have the responsibility to tend to our own fire. But we're also responsibility to tend to the fire of our brothers and sisters in Jesus. That's what Paul is saying to us. You have the responsibility to tend to the fires around you. So this gets practical. You just look around you this morning. Look to your left, look to your right, look behind you, look in front of you. These are the people that God has given you to care for. And you have the tangible responsibility of caring for them in this way, tending their fire. And Paul tells us that we are, in fact, our brother's keeper. And so we have a lot to learn from Paul. We have a lot to learn. And so I just want to pick out a few phrases from verses 3 through 5 that help us on our way. So Paul says this to Timothy. I thank God whom I serve as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. 
So Paul prays for Timothy. We get that. It's evident there. And, and we get the sense that this is no flippant saying. It's like, oh, I just I prayed for you. But we, we, we feel the earnestness of Paul. He says night and day. So morning prayers, evening prayers, Timothy is being prayed for by Paul. And so when, when Paul's in the, in the presence of God praying, as he, as he thinks about Timothy and what Timothy is doing, what God has made Timothy to be, he rejoices before God, giving thanks. And not only does he give thanks, but Paul is, is interceding for Timothy. He knows Timothy's needs, what's going on in ministry. And he's calling for God's blessings and mercy upon Timothy. But notice this. Paul doesn't simply pray for Timothy. He tells Timothy that he's praying for him. Do you see that? Timothy, I'm praying for you, and I want you to know that I'm, I'm praying for you. And this is how I'm praying for you. I'm praying for you earnestly. I'm rejoicing over you in the presence of God. I can testify to the encouragement this brings. There are a few ladies in the church here, and they'll oftentimes send me an email or a message just saying, Brad, I, I'm praying for you in this way. Know that I'm praying for you. And what does that do to, the, to my heart? Well, it, it stirs me up. It, it motivates me. It encourages me. It causes me to press on. And that's what, Timothy, that's what Paul's doing with Timothy. Timothy, I, I'm praying for you. You're on my heart and my mind. And so, brothers and sisters, this is a challenge that Paul gives to us. We need to grow in this. We need to pray for each other, yes, but even more, we need to reach out and we need to tell others that we're praying for them. And perhaps at times even telling them how we're praying for them and what we're praying for them. Paul goes on, he says, I remember your tears. I'm reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure it dwells in you as well. Paul is careful to affirm Timothy. Paul sees good in Timothy's life, and he is going to point it out to Timothy. Paul comes alongside Timothy, and he's saying something like this. Timothy, I know that you are experiencing many difficulties in the ministry. But Timothy, I know something about you. I know that you are a sincere minister of the gospel. I know the great burden you feel towards the flock of God. I know the seriousness of which you carry out your many duties. I've seen it expressed in your tears. I have wept with you about all of this. Even more, Timothy, I know that you are a faithful man. You've heard the call of Jesus. He said to you, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. And you have not stepped aside from that calling. You have followed Jesus. You are faithful. And Timothy, I see the good work of God in you. And you need to know that I see the good work of God in you. You need to be affirmed in this because you need to press on. You need to press on. And this is a theme we're going to pick up on in 2 Timothy. Paul is, he's quick to praise. He's quick to affirm. He's quick to encourage. This is where Paul's heart is at. And he's, he's showing us how a spiritual father should interact with a spiritual son. He's showing us what discipleship looks like in the family of God. And we would all do well to imitate Paul in this. Quick to affirm, quick to praise, quick to encourage our brothers and sisters in Jesus. And Paul says, Timothy, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. Timothy, I long to see that I may be filled with joy. Paul doesn't just tolerate Timothy. Uh, he's a co-worker of mine in the gospel. We kind of get along sometimes. No, Timothy, Paul loves Timothy and he wants to be with Timothy. He wants to see Timothy's face and spend time with Timothy. And he is careful to tell Timothy what's on his heart, his affections for his spiritual son. He's saying, Timothy, nothing would make me happier than seeing you again and being refreshed by your presence. 
just a few weeks ago, I got a, a message from a, a brother pastor down in Wisconsin. He was putting on a, a weekend conference for, for pastors, and he, he texted me saying, Brad, it'd be great if you could come down and spend some, some, spend some time with us. And, and so I said, text him back, sadly, brother, I, I can't go. I mean, the COVID and the border, that's not going to happen. I would love to. And he, he texted me back, and what he said really helped me. He said, Brad, I know that you can't go. I already, know, I already knew that. I sent you that message because I simply wanted to tell you, I wish you could be here with us. I wish you could be here with us. And what's going on? He's, he's got the heart of Paul. He's, he's displaying his affections. I long to see that I may be filled with joy. That's what Paul's encouraging us to be like in the body of Christ. That's what it looks like to tend our neighbor's fire, to express our affections for them. So, brothers and sisters, we have the word of God before us. We've got several charges and responsibilities, so what shall we do? Well, we have to get to work. Tend the fire of your heart. Fan in the flame the gift of God. And not only fan in the flame the gift of God that he's given you, but get to work with your neighbors, your brothers and sisters. Tend their fire. Encourage them. Pray for them. Tell them that you love them. Let's pray together. Oh, Father, we are so thankful for this letter, 2 Timothy. We need these words. You are so wise, O oh God. You teach us how to live the Christian life, and you give us very tangible examples of what it looks like. And so, Father, we pray for faithfulness. We pray, we pray for changes of heart. Oh, Father, give us a heart like Paul, that we would care for others around us by praying for them and telling others that we pray for them and expressing the deep affections of our hearts by even affirming them. Oh, Father, stir us up. We need your help. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand. This last song that we're going to sing really calls to us as the church, the bride of Christ, to put on the armor of God as we live and as we minister. So let's sing these words now. Oh, church, arise and put your armor on. Hear the call of to rage against the captor and with the sword that makes the wounded whole we will fight with faith and valor when faced with trials on every side we know the outcome is secure and christ will have the prize for which 
Son of God is stricken, then see his foes lie crushed beneath his feet. For the conqueror has risen, and as a stone is rolled away, and Christ emerges from the grave, his victory march continues till the day every eye and heart shall see. sisters, we have God's word, and this is God's word to us. Fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power, love, and self-control. These are the words that we need. Um, Two weeks of lockdown perhaps in front of us, we need these words, and I encourage you to press into these words and meditate on these words and live by these words. We need them. So, brothers and sisters, receive this benediction now. May the God of great glory and love, may he fill you afresh with his great and glorious spirit. May you know the truth of the Christian life, the spirit of power, love, and self-control. May you press into this new life you have been given graciously by God. May your life be evidenced with these attributes, power, love, and self-control. Would your words give life to those around you? Saints, be encouraged. Go forth in the strength that God supplies. Go in peace and with much joy. Amen.